Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Hidden Layers, the podcast that typically explores all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. Today, we're hosting a special episode focused on LGBTQ representation in advertising and the associated impact on individuals and society. June is Pride Month, which brings a wave of Pride-themed ad campaigns along with tons of clothing and food packaging covered in rainbows and puns. It's a time when many businesses voice their support for the LGBTQ community, some in creative, compelling ways, some in more cringeworthy ways, and others are noticeably absent from the conversation entirely. For all brands, wherever they fall, the stakes have been raised. Words and rainbow-themed social media posts are simply not enough anymore. There's rightfully more pressure being applied to follow through with action and allyship that supports the LGBTQ community in more tangible ways. We hope this episode sparks curiosity and further critical thinking around how we can all work to evolve the LGBTQ representation in media, protection and opportunity in the workplace, and of course, potentially influence life-changing legislation. This is Hidden Layers. I'm Justine Frostad, VP of Marketing at Cognitive. Today, I'm joined in the studio by my wonderful colleague and co-host, Meredith Tehan, Cognitive's SVP of Sales. Meredith has over a decade of experience in ad tech and is passionate about representing innovative marketing solutions. Welcome to the show, Meredith. I'm back. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Justine. (laughs) Great to have you here. We also have the amazing Kevin Fields. Kevin leads a global product marketing team at Google and has spent the last 12 years in the industry. His background is in brand strategy and market research. He is passionate about voting rights, LGBTQ plus social justice, and is on the board of trustees at the Center for Alternative Sentencing and Employment Services. He lives in Brooklyn with his husband and one of the best dogs in the world. Kevin, I had to say one because my partner and I have a beautiful hound at home, so she would be upset. I accept that. Thank and you. your nephew Tex would. And my nephew Tex, Meredith's <laughs> dog. So one of Don't the best dogs. It's settled. <laughs> but welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you. And last but not least, we have the incredible Eli Harris, EVP Global Digital Partnerships and Media Responsibility at Magna, responsible for providing products and services to media brands teams around the globe. Eli also acts as an industry advocate for media responsibility and last year led the creation of Media Brands Media Responsibility Index, a tool to assess the impact of harmful content on social platforms and establish a benchmark for platform responsibility and roadmaps for improvement. Welcome to the show, Eli. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So I would love to start and just jump right in, but start by exploring some of our own experiences with representation. So what did representation in advertising or media look like to you growing up or did it exist? 
in general, not even just with advertising, but in, in, in the production of shows and, and, and every aspect, there, there wasn't really anybody who looked like me when I was growing up. Now there is, which is really cool. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but it was my, you know, even when I was growing, I think that with exposure comes education. And when I was younger and, and I was in a mall, I remember vividly in Western Maryland, and I had to have been in like maybe middle school. And, you know, I knew things about myself that were a little bit different, but I hadn't quite understood how that fit in or how that what that looked like in the world around me and I remember being at the mall and seeing two women holding hands and I remember just staring and being like what do they think they're doing <laughs> and you know here I am now fast forward to pride last weekend uh, you know holding hands and whatnot of course with my wife but I remember thinking I've not seen that before and and I didn't know where to put it to place it and I didn't know how that I knew it was going to impact me but I didn't know and how and so I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later too but in terms of the exposure comes the education of you and and maybe a belonging or a, a need to you know fit in in society which I think was is has evolved and, and really has improved in the last significantly in the last couple of years. Yeah, I would definitely agree with you in terms of the improvement we've seen over the last few years. But for my childhood, and obviously our audience can't see me, speaking of intersectionality, I am, I am black and obviously gay. In terms of representation growing up for me, sure, there was pockets of representation for black men. There was pockets of representation for gay men. But something I do believe we'll talk about a lot later is stereotypes and tropes and and monoliths and, and how that has definitely played a role. So, yeah, similar to you, Mayor, I knew I was missing as a child was that that need or affirmation to kind of be reaffirmed that I am seen, I am viewed in the world. But it's, it's definitely grown leaps and bounds in the last few years, I would say. And as we all grew up, was there something, you know, whether it was a print ad, I know we're probably, we grew up before digital ads. I'm going to go out on a limb here, maybe. But was there a print ad, a commercial, a TV show, something even in teenage years that you were sort of like, whoa, this is a moment where I feel semi-seen or curious, something sparked in you from that representation? I don't know everyone's age here, but I feel like the at least generationally, what people always point to is Will and Grace or Ellen. And on both of those shows, at least in Will and Grace, neither of the men had a real relationship until the very end of the uh, series. I think they kissed once, like mid, mid series. And therefore, I have to assume there were no gay ads on during commercial break, right? Like they were that hesitant to even show a relationship. So I can't think of one. Tay Diggs on Will and Grace Eventually, was like a very, very, the like, one. Yeah, but that was like close to when it ended. It was yeah. like you know, 20 it, seasons. It was, yeah. Yeah, it, was like, it was basically long buildup. Yeah. Yeah. Find a way to make these characters likable and relatable, but they didn't have relationships for a long time. Or if they did, it wasn't working. It was sad, et cetera. So minus Tay Diggs. Everything that I can think of did portray, and I know that we'll talk more about stereotypes and tropes and stuff as we go along, but sort of portrayed queerness in a way that was palatable, I think, to heterosexuals and cis heterosexuals, for sure. And that's kind of what allowed it to be out there. A lot of the research that I was doing around brands that were ahead of their time, you know, Absolute Vodka kept coming up as a brand that was on the forefront just by taking print ads out, for example, on the back of, of gay magazines. And that was a big deal because obviously the back cover is, was visible, so it wasn't hidden in the pages. And just even thinking about that, I mean, it's amazing that it's amazing how far we've come and how far we still have to go. But I'm curious, when it comes to acceptance, how does inclusion and thoughtful representation in advertising or media influence acceptance personally and professionally? 
I think it, it delivers on a lot of things, especially for youth around the world. I think first and foremost, visibility is really, really important. And being able to see someone who you can identify with succeed in whatever that definition of success could be. It could be bunny, it could be fame, it could be career, it could be family. But I think for so long, we've had a generation of youth that haven't had that type of positive reinforcement of how to live what I'll call a queer lifestyle positively and, and, and in line with that kind of goal of succeeding on whatever that is. It's a good point, Eli. And I think through that, and I'm going to use the word exposure again, or maybe perhaps understanding, I think that's ultimately what can create change, which is, you know, what we're all hoping for here. And we've seen speed up the last couple of years, but I think that's, that's really important. And then to accurately portray and maybe to understand the community so that you can truly advertise to them or speak to them, but in a, in a way that is meaningful, impactful, and truly representative, I think is, is something that a lot of brands really miss the mark on, especially one, one example, I'm sure you both saw the the Burger King one and the two top buns and the two bottom oh, buns, no. <laughs> but the two top buns, two bottom buns. It's just, it's not, it's, it's without thought. You know, it's like, it's not meant to probably be offensive and it's meant to be aligned, but it's it, clearly they did not have a, they didn't, they weren't in touch with the community in terms of, you know, what it looks like to be a part of the community and what that, you know, the intimacy of that relationship looks like. So it's a little bit, out, it speaks out of touch and it can be damaging to brands ultimately. And then of course, damaging to me as a consumer with my spending power and where I'm going to choose to, to spend my, my time and my money and my loyalty. So how do we move beyond stereotypes? Like how can brands do better and actually connect with the community? There's no easy answer to that. And I think you're always going to, someone somewhere is always going to feel like they're not represented and, and particularly in our community, but all communities, there is no monolith, right? So I think that's the, that's the core issue is trying to squeeze everyone into a box. And I think embracing that you can't is probably step one. And then for the work I've done or work I do, it's most successful regardless of what type of campaign, if you use real people. So real people in their real environment with their real lives, that that's the truest sense of being authentic. So I think you can't really argue with someone doing their thing as not being representative. That's the way they do their thing, whatever it is. Right. So I think that that's probably where you should start. Yeah. And also probably who you production team, the agencies you hire. I don't know if the Burger King thing was a joke or not. Part of me feels like someone was in on a joke there because they're, isn't their brand kind of, they're edgy and like, like to try to be like the, They've you, since apologized. Have they have they apologized? Yeah. No, oh, I'm sure they've apologized. Yeah. But, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I just feel like there's no way that no one in that process knew what that meant. Like, what do we, what do we think the likelihood was that that was probably one of the best performing or most <laughs> viral posts Burger King has done? I, I, you know? I feel like it was deliberate. Right. I, I do. I sure. Maybe. I sh yeah. I'll, but I think it begs <laughs> a larger question of sure. Burger King came out and apologized. Mm -hmm. But when they went to put that in market, at least five people probably thought this is going to resonate in, in one way, shape or form. And in terms of the metrics we're probably looking at for success, likes, shares, views, etc. If that's still the benchmark of did this perform well, it probably performed well. So coming back to your question around how do we how do we move away from stereotypes? I think we need to align on what what is the metric of success when sure. it comes to Good supporting point. pride initiatives or any initiative really for disenfranchised folks. Mm -hmm. 
Good point. And visualization and representation is so complicated and layered, right? Because it also depends on the experience of the people on on your team and what their interests are and what their sense of humor is and, you know, who knows, right? So I think to that point, talking about effective conscious representation, I loved what you said, Kevin, just about using real people who are just living their lives because you can't really argue with that as a stereotype. It's It's just them being them, right? So I love that. A study from Unilever found that 66% of LGBTQ plus individuals between 18 and 34 believe people from diverse backgrounds are featured in ads, quote, just to make up the numbers. So let's react to that. Yeah, let's react to that. Let's react to that as a group. Mm, I would say there's definitely a lot of truth in that. Obviously, we all work in advertising. I, I work with a lot of media partners from my purview and advertisers. And I would say there's definitely a performative nature to how representation and advertising has taken shape, especially since 2020. But I think there's kind of a, a, a broader contextual conversation we should also have, which is, again, when it comes back to performance, when it comes back to like using real people and advertising, the pipeline for, for that talent is is definitely skewed to Caucasian folks. It's definitely skewed to cis folks. So I don't know. I don't know if we're getting, how do I say this? An apples for apples comparison when we talk about representation or if we actually have enough data points or assets to actually prove out how do we do all of this in a collective fashion that satisfies our needs in terms of conscious representation, but still delivers performance. Because at the end of the day, mm. we do still live in a capitalist society. We do still work for for-profit organizations and they have shareholders to respond to. So I, I think we need to figure out how do we do that in a capitalist society versus how do we do it in vacuums? It's interesting because I feel like the younger generation seem to have evolved expectations naturally when it comes to representation. And I, I'm curious what you think, you know, they're demanding more action, more true allyship than potentially a lot of older generations when it comes to brands. Why do you think that is? What's empowered them to demand that kind of, rightfully so, demand that kind of allyship and follow through from brands? I can give one idea. <laughs> it's eroding trust in government to protect the people. I would say that's definitely a big proof point. I'm going to forget who conducted the study, but there was a study done in the US last year and it was around the same audience. It was like older millennial, younger Gen Z. And I want to say over 60% of that audience came back and said they expect corporations to create positive change within the United States. And they, they feel that way because it, as I mentioned, there's eroding trust in the government to do so. And as far as, you know, commercials and profitability, there's almost, I guess, a more direct relationship with brands now than with government in some ways. And I think that's caused a bit of a paradigm shift. I also read, also can't cite the study, but that younger people tend to be less loyal to brands. So I think they, there's a sense of you owe me something, prove it to me across many dimensions. But in this one specifically, you have to earn their loyalty. They're just more brand agnostic in general than, than older folks. So I think that might play a role. 
I think on the on the flip side of that too, I, I went to college in, in Florida and I remember the closest, biggest pride we would go to would be Atlantic Gay Pride. It was so fun. For anyone who's not been, you should go. And the big, you know, their big draw was they had it in this, I forget the name of like the field, if anyone knows, but they had like their vendors that were set up year after year after year. And so like I was pretty, I was in college, I was impressionable, you know, and I tell you, I remember Absolute was one of the, one of the sponsors that would be there year after year. Delta as well. And as I now have grown and with my own purchase power and my own ability to make my own decisions and, and brand loyalty decisions and alignments, that's really played a factor and played a role. Like uh, the, them being an early supporter and early adopter, even to a small extent with like little gay Delta flags or little rainbow pens, whatever they were giving me, I was taken and I wanted it because it was rainbow and it was supporting who I am as an, you know, as a, as an, as a human being. And so I think there's actually been a, there's been an opportunity that's been lost, I'm sure, you know, historically for brands here to jump on the bandwagon. And I think now you're seeing, you know, with the purchase power and whatnot that this, that we have, you're seeing a lot more brands that are trying to do it, maybe doing it a little bit too late, maybe doing it incorrectly. But for me personally, the brands that have always stood out and been aligned, I mean, I'm rewarding them with my, you know, with my business and and my loyalty and trying to spread it amongst the community as well. I agree with you. I think that's exactly why everyone is, we'll get to rainbow washing and kind of the, the, co-opting of pride and such most corporations are only doing it to eli's point because we live we live in a capitalistic society right and un- unfortunately but what's true is we vote with our dollar and that's more impactful for most people depending on where you live your dollar is a lot more powerful in making change and even though there's work to be done on what that looks like for corporations to be supportive they're only doing it because it's good for business eight out of ten people in the u.s support even i think 65 percent of conservative folks support LGBTQ rights. So it, it just makes sense for business. It's a pretty small group, very loud group who's working against the community and they have disproportionate power too, unfortunately, but ultimately it's corporations doing what's good for business. And this makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's actually more of a risk not to feature inclusive advertisements, considering that the LGBTQ plus community is the fastest growing minority segment in the U.S. We have approximately a three point seven trillion dollar purchasing power, according to LGBT capital. And beyond that, the average income of LGBTQ plus households is approximately double the national average. And still, I know, right? Go us. Let's go. And still, though, queer people are under advertised too. So there are, I'm sure, brands recognizing the business opportunity, as we've all discussed here, that the LGBTQ plus community provides. And only now, faced with those statistics, are choosing to reach us and reach out to us for what some refer to as pink dollars. So how do we know what's authentic and what's a money grab? I think that, correct me if I'm wrong on the the right term, but the HRC's equality index does one for corporate, like, kind of experience. So what, how that company itself is for LGBTQ people at their company. And then also one for low, I think, municipal scores. So locations and whether or not they're, they're friendly and good to the community. And the former, I think that for me, I don't care about your advertising if you're not good to your employees who are LGBTQ. I don't care about your advertising if you're not in an authentic way supporting vocally the right causes outside of June. I don't care if you I don't even care if you have any LGBTQ people in your ad overtly, if you're not doing those things. I think that's a starting point for me. So I'm like, you, Mary, I do very seriously consider where I spend my money Mm -hmm. with with brands and probably to a fault. But those are things that matter to me. 
Yeah. Some of the things I read about, you know, to parrot you a little bit, Kevin, but transparent about how they're giving back, which is obviously important, uplifting queer voices, both in the workplace and publicly, if they speak out against anti-LGBTQ plus legislation and really have a voice there because that's important. So do you agree with those things? Is there anything you would elaborate on there in terms of uplifting queer voices? How can we do that in the workplace and in advertising? I, I definitely wholeheartedly agree with what you've mentioned over the last couple of minutes. You mentioned the Media Responsibility Index by my brainchild, which essentially what it is at at its core is an accountability framework specifically for global media partners. And essentially what we're looking at is how can we get into the business practice up, up the business practices of an organization, employee resources that are available, monetization levers, different policies and practices that all are the underpinnings of solid representation as it pertains to inclusivity for gender, as it pertains to supply chain diversity and driving more sustainable and eco-conscious business practices. All of these things are, are at the core of what we're trying to do. And yeah, I think speaking about queerness and inclusivity specifically, we're trying to ensure that advertisers also have that purview when they go to market to select their media partners. So not only are they showing up internally in a, in a positive or representative fashion, but they're also using their dollars to represent their values in market as well. Great points. I think for, for, and this relates to employers as well. It's one thing to recognize and a brand. It's one thing to recognize the community. It's another to support it and truly celebrate it. And those are different, you know, different facets. And so I think that, I think that as we, we can expect more and hopefully demand more of our employers, of, of our, of brands. And I, I think that that kind of is in line with what you just said, Eli, there. And moving into rainbow washing for the brands that aren't, that don't have the follow through and that are just, you know, changing the logo to be a rainbow or doing the, the cringy social media posts. What is the damage of rainbow washing in your opinion to the community, to, to the LGBTQ plus community, but also just to society and how, and how LGBTQ plus are perceived? I don't know how to say this without saying it's a little bit of misinformation, (laughs) but it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's not, it's not authentic to Kevin's earlier point, which, which resonates with people. It's not, it's just, it's, it's mixed messages. It's not, you know, it's one thing to like, I'm, I'm not just gay in June. It's one thing like outside of the month to also be celebrated, to be supported, to be, you know, not just tolerated and, and, you know, you're there. It's like to be supported, to be heard, to be, there's causes that happen year round. There's organizations that can be impacted year round. So I think there's a little bit more i think that authenticity in in general i i don't know it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me as a consumer it doesn't appeal to me as an lgbtq woman it doesn't so for me but i think that it could help unfortunately negatively influence other people that are outside of the community in terms of their oh well my you know i support you know this brand and and they're 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 good with the gays they they change their logo to be to be rainbow for the month so surely they should be treating their you know workers who are lgbtq or you know whatever whatever it is their municipalities like kevin said earlier surely they could they're they're treating them well because they have a rainbow logo be going beyond that i think and to to I think that's, I think it's a little bit dangerous. Personally, I do. I think, I think people have to look beyond with what they just see, right? What's right in front of them. You really need to look beyond. Playing devil's advocate a little bit. I did read something about a potentially positive side of rainbow washing. 
And it talked about, you know, say there's an individual living with homophobic parents in a state that's trying to take away their rights and they see a major brand that has rainbow flags on their apparel or on their storefront or whatever. Maybe that gives them sort of a shred of hope or a subtle sense of inclusion. How do you react to that? I definitely see both sides of the coin. I think there's definitely a danger, Mayor, and how rainbow washing has, I guess, convoluted the legacy of pride. On the other hand, I think awareness and exposure play a role, and I already said it, but coming back to young people, especially, I don't know if any of you watch Drag Race, but quite often on Drag Race, RuPaul or one of the contestants will say something like, oh, I just so excited to inspire the kid in this small town in this part of the world. And if, if drag race can have that effect, why, why can't a rainbow flag on, on Twitter or why can't a rainbow flag hanging outside? I think they play a role. I think there's definitely just two ends of that coin. I agree. I, I have very mixed feelings on this. I, a large part of me thinks it's our responsibility to be critical and to push and to, to evolve in, in the right way. And we should be doing that. That's why we have these conversations. I also, what you said about the legacy of pride resonates with me because I, I've heard and participated in quite a few conversations with my company and my ERG about our involvement with the pride parade, which was a march, right? And so losing sight of what it was there for and it not that long ago, but particularly here where we are in New York. So all of that makes sense to me. And I think they're worthy conversations and change should be done and they should continue. That said, I think the positive side of normalization and what it means to little mayor to see you know, although you're in college, I'm not, but younger mayor, you know, those things do matter in the drag race. I think there's legislation now being proposed in Texas and I just saw in Georgia for making sure children aren't exposed to drag, like as nutty as it gets, right? Like that is truly, truly insane. I realize it's about advertising, but I could talk to you for a long time about No, politics. please. <laughs> so you do need that kind of massive, albeit imperfect tidal wave to go against it, right? Which is, although I think just throwing a logo up for the month, not enough, mm. of course, it does matter. And I think that you know, everyone could be better, no doubt. And we should reward those who are doing it in the most authentic, sincere way and are, and are speaking out and, you know, concerned about young trans kids and what's what the, the massive amounts of legislation being passed to hurt both them and their supportive parents. That's the stuff I care about and they will get my long time loyalty. But doing it imperfectly, I don't think letting perfect be the enemy of good is going to help anyone. Sure. Pushing them to go through really the perfect, point. yes. But and, and calling out those that are hypocritical, they're actively supporting, sure. not just being quiet, but actively supporting things that are, yeah. are not for us. Yes. And for us being everyone, right? Like justice is for everybody, not just for one individual group. So whatever month you're talking about, whatever community you're talking about, the, you know, if you're not for us, the, the collective us all the time then that's a different group. I think we need to actually segment these groups, not bundle everyone who doesn't do it perfectly into one group and say, you're, you're awful, mm -hmm. you know, get out of here. We don't, you know, I'm too woke for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> that doesn't speak for most of the, yeah. that doesn't speak for most of the country. Not yep. everyone is, not everyone's going to be in the same camp that we are mm -hmm. the way we think, you know, because I know you guys or think I know you enough, but I just think that's important. I think that segment out those who are really, really inauthentic and it, sure. you know, let's even call it 
problematic, hurtful, bad. Malicious, yeah. Yes, yeah, and yeah. don't bundle those that are doing sure. a B or C plus, B minus job with those that are not even that's or they're passing. failing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yes, that's sorry. That's that's my little. My I I propose this then instead of a syntax, there should be a rainbow ta- tax <laughs> on the flag if you want to use it. Who you have to support a cause. Okay, well, support a cause. There yeah. you go. That's a really good idea. We get that yeah, next year first. Yeah. I do think that every single one should be doing something with their money, right? Like you're asking for our business. What are you doing to support? I think maybe we'll get to this later, but there are great examples that there's quite important work being done in the background that doesn't make a TV ad, but, and doesn't show up on, you know, their company logo for the month on Twitter. But I think there's important stuff that can be done and is being done. And those companies and organizations should be celebrated. We might have an evolution too. You know, you walk by the the little um, restaurant or the deli, and it has the rating in the window mm-hmm. A, B, or C. You know, no one wants to eat at the C or the D, or I, sometimes they don't list it. But you know, it perhaps that's what we're going to evolve to from an organization, from a brand's perspective. And in this area, this is how they rank. And you know, HRC you referenced earlier, Kevin already does that, and they list. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's impossible to list every every brand out there. But you know, maybe that's something that we can, from from an accountability perspective, we can actually push on and maybe look forward to in the future because that's where I want to spend my my time invest my time, my money and my, you know, my loyalty as a consumer. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we were talking earlier about how people feel more connected with brands than politics these days, especially in the U.S. for the most part, I'm generalizing. But I do think that politics and advertising are totally separate topics, right? Because corporations, especially ones that have a lot of money, have a real opportunity to influence change. So, so Kevin, you were talking about some of the quiet things that brands are doing or can do. What are some of those things? If a brand's out there thinking like, oh, this is another thing I have to think about. How, I don't know where to begin. What do I do? Hopefully they're not sighing about oh, yeah. that. That's <laughs> that was for dramatic effect. <laughs> um, Got it. Check, that, check. That's, yeah. First step is no sign. Um, the, the one that I would reference is that Unilever, I believe, actually, I know for sure, picked, it was with the HRC index and they picked five counties or areas that were having the lowest ratings and picked to a specific nonprofits, local nonprofits that are doing work for the community and try to have an impact there locally with the groups that needed it most. And to be that surgical and target areas that really needed it most and put their money where their mouth is yet not be super loud about it. To me, that, that yeah. matters more than anything. And Unilever has a lot of money, right? It's so like that, that has impact. And then if I, whenever I see their rainbow flag, great. Not asking questions. I know that I, I believe them. There's an authenticity there and a, and a, a sincerity. Sincerity is actually more important for me in this than authenticity. Yeah, that's cool. I, mean, I don't think you can looking... be authentic yeah. if you maybe you can't relate. Right. A lot of people <laughs> cannot relate to our experience and that's OK. But being sincere right, and, is, and not is... looking for a reaction to their investment, too, and doing it kind of under the radar. That's really cool. I didn't right. know that. I think you bring up a good point, Kevin, which is that money talks. <laughs> anyway, you said capitalism, right? Like, let's yeah. own it. That's the truth. And. Yeah. Donate, donate, donate. And I think your point around local community involvement is spot on. I think that's the best way to make real impact. Like here we are sat in New York City. How many of the largest corporations in the world are headquartered here? And there's plenty of community organizations within the queer space and within other spaces that are still massively underfunded and still need a lot of support. So I think reinforcing that message of local support and advocacy is is really, really, really important. One of the brands that I kept reading about, as I mentioned earlier, during research was Absolute Vodka. 
new big fan uh, after reading all this stuff. But one of the, the smaller scale things, which actually could have a huge impact that they've been taking on as an initiative, is helping LGBTQ plus bar spaces basically come up with business plans and succession plans because there's been a pretty significant decline in those spaces, especially through the pandemic when a lot of businesses went out of business. So they've been working with those business owners to come up with those succession plans. And I think that's really impactful. It's something that, you know, to be honest, prior to reading that, I hadn't really thought about before, but Mm -hmm. such important work. Yeah. To make those more sustainable. I've thought about it because every time you visit a a city, there's typically only one lesbian bar. There's three total in New York. Three. How is that possible? Three. I guess Stonewall. You're counting Stonewall? No, it's uh, Bay Hall, Gingers, and Henrietta Hudson's. I'm not allowed there. Is Henrietta Hudson's? men aren't allowed. Is that true? Yes. Well, uh, um, once I've been told, so I never went. You could what is gender? Gender's a construct, guys. Well, maybe I'll argue with the door person. You can dress up and drag and go. I could do that, yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Bodyguard, security, office security. (laughs) We know I love lesbian. (laughs) Preferably gingers. But I think think it's a good point, Justine, because sustainability, you know, as I, and bars that I grew up going to have changed or they've they've popped up and they've gone away after a year or two. And, you know, they're, they're, the impact that it has in terms of, of, um, of a safe community place that has people that are like-minded. I mean, when I travel to new cities, I love to visit gay bars because I just love to be with the community and see the community in a different area. And, and, and I think it, if that's not there and you can't, you know, you can't support that, you can't visit it, you can't experience that. I think that's a really, really cool initiative about the sustainability of that. I'd love to see that more, more bars pop up, more bars that are, you know, healthily, more healthily, financially long-term so that they can be around for communities. And, and as these younger people grow up and they can actually visit the bars and experience them. And I think that's cool. That's really cool. Go absolute. Makes sense for them, obviously, right? From a business standpoint, it's a natural connection, which I think is great, but other businesses can find things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I like that a lot. Yeah. And I wonder why there aren't more LGBTQ plus bar spaces, especially in Manhattan. There's a, there's a really good book called Gay Bar, Why We Went Out by Jeremy Atherton Lynn, which basically explores in a, in a lot of capital cities like SF, New York, London, kind of the transition from queer nightlife and why it used to exist as this kind of space for community building and coming together and how a range of things, but mo- most specifically how technology and the internet has changed how we as a community connect and changed, I guess, the instant reward or gratification that comes from being able to connect with someone on your phone versus coming out to a bar and not really knowing what to expect, which because we're on an advertising podcast, I'm going to bring us back to advertising <laughs> Thank you, and why <laughs> I think it's so important for advertisers to invest in media partners that are promoting safe online spaces for our people to exist and commune and come together. One of the largest global media partners in the world, while they won't go on record of saying it and while their policies has very different things, if you look at how they enforce queer representation on their platform or how they promote queer creators or how they monetize queer creators on their platform, there's a major disconnect and divide between what's happening in that space and what's happening in the hetero space. And the longer our brands, all of the brands of the world, keep investing in these partners. And although they may say, hey, we want you to improve, we want you to support all people, but their investment continues to grow regardless of what's happening on the ethical side of things, 
that's a problem. That's a major, major problem. It kind of makes it feel like we as corporations are talking out of both sides of our mouths and not doing a lot better than the rainbow washing corporations we're here to talk about. What are some of the ways we could improve that? I honestly think it really requires brands and organizations to take a good, long, hard look at their value set as an organization and determine how they want to show up in the world. Certain media partners are going to be able to assist you in delivering out that vision and others are going to work against you. It's not always commercially viable to go the ethical route or the, yeah, what I'll call the better route. And we need to change that paradigm. Otherwise, we're going to be sat here talking about this for years and years to come. Do you feel like, Eli, that could be not easily by any means done, but through a diverse lens of people that are the decision makers that are making those decisions and that ultimately become empowered? You know, somebody from with a diverse background and maybe cares about things a little bit differently than the, the current decision maker. Do you think that will have implications or do you think it just strictly comes down to the I suppose the the bottom line or the the profit or the corporation and it's it's shareholders, et cetera. Although it's probably clear we're all very passionate about our careers and probably think very highly of ourselves and what we're capable of. I work for an organization I can proudly say is ran by a queer person and many members of our executive leadership are queer. And in terms of value set, they're they're all aligned to what we're saying here today. Sure. Sure. In terms of the ambitions we've set, to promote minority owned, to promote other equity-based media owners, the investment trend's not moving in, in the way of the ambition. The investment trend's still moving the way of ROI. Mm-hmm. And until we have a way to, I guess, change that perspective. Or maybe that you mentioned earlier, measuring it. a little Measurement bit, of it. Yeah, yeah. Measurement is a little bit different, has to shift to meet that. Yeah. Okay. You heard it here. Look, look up for new media KPIs coming from Eli Harris. When it comes to corporate pride, what does proud at being proud at work look like to you? And how has it evolved throughout your career? I mean, when I started my career, I wasn't out and I also didn't it pride. Corporate pride wasn't a conversation or to two agencies early on. And certainly wouldn't say there were hostile environments at all, but it wasn't at all a topic and certainly there were gay people there but there was no corporate pride i I do feel like this is relatively new right like the idea like maybe five at most to eight years this has been a thing and it's it's growing like a snowball but i and i love it where i'm at now it's it's ever it's literally everywhere at the office but and then for the most part very authentic i don't remember this even being a on my radar in my first two jobs my first job Back in, I I, I kind of came out at work. Yeah, I guess I kind of came out a few times, but I wasn't really out. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I certainly came out a few times. <laughs> I was in a real low place when I was. I think I was twenty years old at my first like corporate job, and I had a really good relationship with my line manager. She was also like my mentor, and I I told her what was going on. I told her about my relationship. I told her a secret. I told her the secret was killing me because. My partner was very closeted at the time. Her response to me was, oh, you you can't tell the team that. I'm cool with that, but you can't tell the team that. And yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm a little rebellious. So I started rebelling a little bit. I started wearing V-necks. I started dressing a little different. And, V-necks, um, you're rebellion. I love it. I know. I literally got, I literally got in trouble for wearing a V-neck. And I'm not kidding. 
I obviously left that job. But after that experience, I decided that not that I wanted to lead with it, but I decided I was going to expose that part of myself before I joined any new organization because I did want to be my authentic self at work. And if that wasn't going to jive, then it wasn't for me. And since then, I have been. I feel like we talk about, you know, what does it mean to like show pride or be represented at work? I think it's being able to be your absolute authentic self, no holds barred, and that be okay. I could not empathize or resonate more with that. I mean, I came out later in life in my 30s and cognitive was sort of my my coming out company, to be honest. And it was one of those situations for me where I felt like I had such an established identity as a person personally, but also professionally. And our industry is big, but it's small too. And I was in a very happy, loving relationship. I'm still in it now with my partner, shout out Maris. But, you know, I was at work and I wasn't being totally forthcoming with it, not because I was ashamed of the relationship, because but because I was, you know, admittedly a little bit nervous about how it would be received. And, you know, looking around me and then having more people join our team because we were a small growing startup at the time, but having more people join the team who are in the queer community and having it be accepted and it just in terms of follow through like benefits and stuff reflecting that it definitely created a safe space for me where coming out was an extremely positive experience professionally for me. And I feel really lucky for that because not everybody gets that in life or at work. That's true. It's true. I think as it, something I look to uh, that I value is how an organization, what does it, what does the diversity look like? You know, and that, and we can consider this now we're, we're far along in our careers, all very successful individuals being a little bit more selective with where you're going to work, who you're going to work with, who you're going to work for, what do they stand for? I think that's something that I've really, the evolution of my career that's happened. And I, I want to look to a company that, 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 that is diverse, that attracts different backgrounds for multiple multitude of reasons for business reasons, but also, you know, it's a, it's an organization I want to be around the people who you spend so much time with at your colleagues and whatnot. So for me, it's been, um, you know, I think that it's, it's been leading with it, to be honest, in terms of like where I'm not going to hide who I am to your point, you know, the authentic, the authentic version of me is what you're going to get. Maybe not, you know, 10 years ago, but now certainly <laughs> take it or leave it. And it's, it's definitely, you know, something I look for in an organization in terms of that alignment. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be, you know, I want to be recognized, valued, celebrated, and I want similar people of all different kinds of backgrounds the same. And I expect that of my, my employer. And I, I expect to give that to employees and, and the organization as well, that space. And I think it's, it's, it's really cool to see companies that are, that are really supporting us. So cheers all around. There seems to be sort of an inherent culture clash, I'd say, generally speaking, though, between pride, which is about disrupting norms and celebrating uniqueness and difference, while corporate culture often rewards conformity. So how can companies work to better align with their LGBTQ plus employees? Well, that's kind of like what we just, we just talked about a little bit in terms of, you know, my, my attire. I think when I first started my career was a little bit different. It was a little bit more uniform with the, the rest of the ladies in the office, although not quite, but we'd love to see pictures. Close. Hey, Mare with hair exists. She's out there. I have pictures. Um, <laughs> and so I think it was more, you know, for me to be able to, to fit in, to assimilate, to, you know, and then to prove that, that, you know, I, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm really good at my job. 
that's really at the, you know, they actually don't have anything to do with each other. Right. And so I think, but I, but, but, you know, LGBTQ, our community is different, is diverse. We are unique. We are, you know, rebellion, rebellious. We are proud. We are all these things that are really, that make us so powerful and so cool. And, you know, that doesn't fit into that stereotypical box. And I think that we're having to, we're seeing corporations, companies move, shift that box, make a little bit more room, or we're kind of sneaking in the back door and then we're, we're changing the shape of the box once we get in there, which is another way. And either way, I mean, it's, it's, it's changing and it has to change because it's, it's just not, you know, and not just our community, people have evolved. Everyone's changed every, every person. And so I think we need to focus more on like, meeting talent and people and employees where they are and understanding them versus them understanding the corporation and, and the corporate values or what that looks like. So I think it's, I think we're seeing it evolve. I agree with you entirely. I think the corporate culture paradigm shift, I guess, is going to take time. Like all, all change takes time and, and every little step forward is important. So I think about it in two ways, your little acts of rebellion, whether that's changing your attire a bit, getting different haircut, but it took you kind of build up that confidence and I am really good at my job. And yeah. this is, this is also who I am. And those two things exist or coexist. I do think that people who have the luxury and privilege of not worrying about, you know, their next paycheck, not worrying about where they're going to sleep. We, you know, we have, let's just call that out and name the fact that we're not currently worried about where we're sleeping tonight or our next paycheck right now. Absolutely. So I'm not asking anyone in that situation to do a quiet acts of rebellion at their job, wherever that may be, or when they're interviewing for the job, being afraid to bring their full selves to that interview, because that's something that is a privilege. It shouldn't be, but it is for us. So that notwithstanding, the really massive change comes from leaders. So I think holding leaders accountable and as people grow in their careers, and I think most people listening to this are probably in our industry and moving along their career, ask the right questions, push back. Use your power, however big or small, to influence change with people who actually hire the agencies that they're going to use for production, invest in whichever networks they want for this ad campaign. Push, right? Because you, you ha everyone has some level of influence in corporate America, whatever you know, scale, and just not taking that for granted and using it, finding your moments to use it, I think is important. I think I have a slightly different perspective and I think that is because of my intersectionality as a black gay man, which I'm euphemizing can also translate to like token, especially in corporate advertising environments where a lot of the leaders are white, right? A lot of them are older males, older cis males. So my experience has been more, I've been looked at quite often to provide solutions or resolutions or paths forward or leadership of certain task forces. And it, I think it puts undue stress and pressure and expectations on other people like me that play similar roles in their corporate environments. So my first piece of advice is stop asking the disenfranchised folks who are not as empowered to fix the problems. The second would be to get more representation in those higher places. And to your point, Kev, that stuff doesn't happen overnight, but it does require a considered long-term effort to change those things. And I mentioned, you know, my corporation is ran by a lot of queer folks. There's still plenty of representation we're lacking. Plenty. I'm pretty sure everyone is still cis. I'm pretty sure everyone, yeah, 
it has lives a heteronormative lifestyle and builds plans and solutions around that heteronormativity. So, yeah, I think we need to expand our resources and really look across the board for people to to solve these challenges collaboratively. I hope people listening, I assume you have a lot of people who listen who are not gay or identify as queer. So the call to action is actually to you, not necessarily to ask <laughs> the the groups that are needing the support to be the only voice and carry carry that weight. So hiring practices, little micro decisions that you can have influence on, do something about it. Totally agree. And I love, Eli, the point of adding the resource adding the more resources and also flipping the onus in a way and putting it back on people who, you know, can educate themselves. They don't always have to turn to the disenfranchised to solve their own problem. Like you said, I think that's such an important point to hammer home and something that's often the case. We should give an action plan, like on a, a one sheet or out should of pride, <laughs> pride March. a PDF. There's action. lots of allies there, plenty of non-gay people. Let's give it to them. Yep. Like and we'll make it sustainable. Use a QR code. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm half Thanks. kidding, half not. Um, yeah, <laughs> QR <that>. code. Because <laughs> we can change it all the time, mm-hmm. right? Whatever, wherever they land. Yeah, mm-hmm. perfect. You got a product guy here, huh? Yeah, right. We're iterating here and now in real time. I like it. I think both of you, Kevin and Eli, touched on a, another really important point about how you know everybody at this table for the most part is very privileged in a lot of ways and we're not representative by any stretch of the imagination of the lgbtq community on the whole of course right so with everything going on in the world but specifically all you know in the united states in terms of discrimination and anti-lgbtq legislation how do you or do you stay hopeful and action oriented i think Because as you say, we are all speaking from a place of privilege. I think it is easier for us to maintain hope or optimism that things will generally improve, but we probably have the means to shelter ourselves from things if they really go too awry, right? We could move away. We could ship our families somewhere else. We could, we could do a range of things to ensure that our inner circles are a bit protected or insulated from some of the unfortunate things that may occur in the future. I think when we talk about, to to Kevin's point, the folks that don't have that same privilege, I think maintaining that hope is a little tougher. But I think continuing to reinforce the wins that we're getting, whether it's on a you know geopolitical scale, whether it's on an interpersonal scale, is really, really important. And it comes back to what we've all mentioned. Like we work in advertising, we work in media. That's why representation and applied drag in June, as silly as it is, these, these things still matter. Even for me, right? Like I'm so much happier to be sitting here on a podcast with my fellow queers talking about what we can do versus 10 years ago, this wouldn't be happening, right? Mary, you'd be wearing a dress with long hair or something. It sounds like <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so yeah, I think. As tough as the media makes it all seem, we're still, there's still some momentum. And I think we need to keep that top of mind too. Right. And take that responsibility where we can in making those small shifts and, and taking the smaller actions that we can day to day in our own workplaces, in our own lives is important. And also, you know, voting with our dollar, like we were all talking about before. When you think about brands who are supporting 
anti-LGBTQ legislation or putting their money in causes that are obviously damaging to our community. Is that something that people should be actively looking into year round? And how can they actually beyond, you know, I know you can Google things to an extent, but are there other ways that people can really kind of take note of who is doing what and who they should be supporting and who they should not be potentially? Controversial opinion. If we were going to track every dollar we spent (laughs) and where that dollar went, we'd never be spending money because we'd always be tracking where we were spending money. And I think just based on the political party system that exists in our company, we're always going to be in this situation where we've got corporations that want to play both sides and put money here and put money there. And I don't know. I don't know if I have enough grounding or if there's enough things I could read on the internet that would give me the trust in myself to say, yes, I'm making the right investment here. And some of these brands like we talked, you mentioned Delta earlier, Mayor. I, I'm, I'm a loyal Delta guy. I'm, I'm a diamond medallion person. That's bragging. Yeah. Well, you still I have diamond it. in the, still currently? Yeah. Wow. I got it this year, actually. Congratulations. Congrats. Thanks. We digress, <laughs> but we, we know that Delta has people donated on. This fly, people <laughs> who listen to this absolutely fly a lot and know, they know the diamond people who get to go at first. Of course. Yeah, you're right. It's relevant. But Delta, you know, they've donated on both sides of the aisle in, in the last few years, but they do support pride, supposedly. But I'll be honest, is there a reasonable alternative to Delta? No, not in terms of quality, not in terms of service. There's a lot of other things that that was a, a silly example, but I don't know. Just how, how could you how could you possibly decide? But I think jokes aside about the diamond part, it means you really do fly them a lot, right? And I also fly Delta a lot, but haven't got to Diamond. Their CEO is vocally supportive of the LGBTQ community. And and that to me means a lot, right? That's not this shows up and it does show up in June. You walk on the plane and there's a different interstitial on, on the monitor and what have you. But he, I've actually heard him speak out proactively for the LGBTQ community. And that's that for me means something and that, that has kept me loyal or it has influenced me in keeping me loyal. It's something that I, that I think about. There's certain restaurants, a specific chain I won't eat at, but my husband will. And I will never. And I, I consistently check to see where they're donating and they're still doing things that are questionable. So I don't think everyone has to be as deliberate, but I think when you do when you know better, do better. Try. So I don't need it at the restaurant either. Good. None of us should. I hear it's really good, but I I used to. I can it. confirm it's <laughs> Fantastic. We won't name them and give it to them. I mean, years and years ago, not that long ago, probably about 50 years ago, it was really only alcohol and tobacco companies, right? Overtly advertising to the LGBTQ plus community. And that was primarily because a lot of their customer base was not necessarily the religious right. So it was less risky for them. But today it's more of sort of a festival for brands to take part in. And it's no longer necessarily the act of activism that it was at one point to take out that full page ad as a brand. So what do you think is sort of the modern day equivalent for brands trying to take that level of stand? Is it speaking up at the top level? Is it in, you know, investing dollars in causes that matter? Or is it something beyond? Top of mind for me right now, and I think should be for everyone in our community is protecting trans kids and Mm -hmm. trans women of color and trans people broadly. But I think that would be radical. That would be activism. Speaking about something that is not yet 
and I don't agree with this term, but you said earlier, like we're a little more palatable, right? Like there's someone said that we've become kind of normalized. And a lot of that is that most people know someone who's gay. So that's why rapid change happened in the past 10, yes. 15, 20 years, because start seeing a little bit more of it on TV. Then people started coming out or you knew your brother or your cousin or, your, you know, you knew they were gay. Oh yeah. They and dress that, so well. They're so cute. Yeah. They're and fine. They, they, they live with them. a very close friend for a very long time. Yeah. You know, that is not the case for trans people. Visibility there is not at the same level. And so it's harder to normalize. It's harder to introduce, but it's more important because of that. And so I, that to me would be the next frontier. I think that you really need to step up there. And, and I don't think it's every corporation's job or responsibility. Again, back to the capitalism piece. I'm not naive I, I, and I'm not overly in the negative or pejorative sense too woke, but the, the, the brands that did it well or want to continue to do better, that's where I would lean in. I know I care a lot about voting rights and I know that a lot of major film production studios stopped filming in Georgia for a while. And that made a difference. That really did. You take away the money. What, what didn't happen? I don't think the MLB pulled out of the... NCAA basketball or something. Or, yeah, a few yeah. big sports things <laughs> things stopped. But I think, again, back to the money, like that. those things make an impact. And so anyone who's operating out of Texas or Georgia at the moment <laughs> or has any influence over the media plans that are going to be targeting those places, I think... That's those kind of like micro but important things to to assert your influence. Yeah, and I think touching back on trans representation, it, that is so critical. And I was I was reading the other day that Gillette, I believe, did an ad recently or a commercial where a, a father is teaching his trans teenager how to shave. You know, and it's it's a quick spot, but so impactful, right? Because it's it's doing it's a bonding moment between a parent and a child, and they're they're having a, a regular, authentic bonding moment. But it's representative of so much more. And I think, for me at least, and for all of us, I'm sure it's so important because until everybody's represented, until everybody's defended and protected, none of us are, right? Absolutely. I I also still. I think people, I'd like to think that people are just simply a little bit afraid of what they don't know. And if they haven't been exposed to or haven't met a gay person or a trans person or somebody who's any type of different from, from them, I would still like to believe that they just are, they're just not, they're not aware. They're not up to speed. They don't know. And they're, they're more afraid, you know, themselves than they are actually of the person. I still would like to believe that. But I, so this is where representation, this is where awareness and education and exposure all really, really matters. And I think I agree with Kevin. This is the, this is the next, you know, frontier. And we need to, we need to push for accountability here and for exposure here as uncomfortable as it makes anybody feel initially, just so you can begin to then feel more comfortable. And the more you know, the more power you have, you know, and the more your education you have, the more comfortable you are. So in my opinion, I just want to piggyback on what Myron Kevin said. I think trans people of color, as much as I hate this phrase, are the lowest common denominator in terms of how they perceive and how they move through society. And so when we talk about brands, you know, getting a message out in market or doing something that is the modern equivalent of activism around pride. I, I think it's squarely about representation for those folks and sports protect trans athletes. Very, very important. How can we do that too? 
protecting trans athletes. I think we need to keep the conversation top of mind. I think it's more up to the collegiate bodies to create an effective set of rules and regulations that allow sports to go ahead. I don't think that's fully baked as of yet, and that needs a bit of work. But I think reinforcing the conversation and the rights for our youth is really, really important. Is there, and, and thinking about this as sort of a wrap moment, but is there any, can be recent, can be from years ago, advertising or brand moment or media moment? I'll expand it a little bit. It could be a TV show or a movie that you want to end on in terms of some sort of representation that has mattered or resonated with you in particular. I think for me personally, a show that has really resonated with and mattered to my partner and I has been the L word Q generation Q. So the L word generation Q it. And the reason being, it is just the kind of show where it's not only a diverse representation of the queer community through our POV, but it's actually shared experiences, nuances, dynamics that really speak to us and the queer couples that we surround ourselves with as well. So, you know, it's kind of a reprieve from only watching shows that are showing cis hetero relationships. And we love a lot of those shows too, but to see this and to be able to have that sort of moment where you're in your own world and surrounded by your own community and it's reflected to you on TV, that's meant something to us. And that's definitely been a moment, especially, you know, during quarantine where we're, we watched more television than I'd like to talk about, but (laughs) that could be a whole other podcast, but that was a really special moment for us because it led to a lot of discussions between the two of us too, about topics that we probably wouldn't necessarily have covered because they aren't usually reflected on TV back at us. Yeah, that's a good point. And now that I think about it too, I mean, I'm going to go old school L word, the original, the goodie L word and even queer as folk. I mean, these shows were just when they came out, we were just, and this was before, you know, you're on Netflix binging TV. It was like before it was a thing. And we were, I was just like, I was watching with like my gay guys and in college and we'd be like, let's just we would watch it like on dvd right oh yeah no it would what would come on right i think it would come on like at the time slot like once a week or whatever (laughs) we're about the same age are you sure you're watching this in real time (laughs) yes queer as as folk yeah Yeah, 100 percent. it was yeah i watched it yeah anyway the point being is that you would we would binge it we were we were so enamored with like wow this is what it this is what it because we had never i'd never experienced the exposure and i was also so you know getting a little bit older myself and going to bar new bars and all this stuff and but you know what's really cool that came out of the L word, I would say, is that actually, obviously, I loved it. And I was a huge fan of, of all these shows, but my mom actually watched the L word. Mm. And she would then, you know, reach out and say and connect, like, oh, did you watch the latest season? Or, oh, did you see what just happened with Bet? And I was like, you're, oh, you're up to date, you know? <laughs> Love um, Which was kind of a cool. I think served as a resource for her, a knowledge resource, whether it's right or wrong, everything that they're doing on the show, whether it's accurate or not, it was still a portrayal and it was a full-blown portrayal, not just a a show with two gay characters, you know, as a sideline. And I think that was really important and cool. Thanks for jogging my memory, Justine. Anytime. The one I'm going to mention is quite new. It's a new Netflix show, shameless plug, called Heartstopper. And it's, it's based on a graphic novel, but it's about these two high schoolers that end up in a relationship, two boys. And what I love so much about it is it's, it's probably the first media representation of queer people, especially queer boys at that age 
I've seen that is purely wholesome. Mm-hmm. There's no negative side story about a range of topics. Like I feel like HIV is a common theme you get, other disease, family issues. There's none of these kind of common motifs you see play out. It's just pure, wholehearted loveliness. Everyone should watch it. I agree. Add to the queue. It is really nice. I don't even watch this regularly, but I, I have a lot of respect for Drag Race. I think that yes, like literally changed the cultural zeitgeist in a way that I don't think any show I can think of in recent history has. And not just for our community, but I have people in my life who are just kind of othered. They're not queer, or at least not that I know of, but they're obsessed with it. And that's when I really was like, oh, there's something here. And I, and I have seen it, of course. And I think the performers are incredibly talented and funny and multidimensional. But I had, a, yeah, I think something hit me when I was going into a, a gay bar years ago. And there was a car outside of what must have been 16 or 17 year old girls who didn't, at least insofar as I can tell, want to get into a gay bar or were looking for anything like other than waiting for one of the RuPaul Drag Race performers who was coming in that night. And it was like 1230 at night. And I thought it was shocked they were even there. They were allowed to be out, but that hit me. And then, as I said, I have some folks in my life who just, it really resonates with them. And the, this idea that our community is really a big tent community, right? The, and I, I love that. I think that, that that's an important way to, it's like, I think it's its own advocacy, actually. Yeah. I, I didn't want to mention Drag Race twice, <laughs> but I could not agree with you more. I think Drag Race is personally responsible for much of the progress we've seen within the U.S. on these topics. Shout out to all those advertisers. I think they get really big brands to advertise, which I think, you know, they're following the money, but great. (laughs) Shout out to RuPaul. Yeah, no kidding. And I didn't want to mention Absolute Vodka for the 100th time, but they were one of the original sponsors. If they weren't middle of the day, I would suggest that we go cocktail in the interior illusions (laughs) lounge. If I didn't have to go to work, I would suggest we absolutely go do that. But let's do it some other time. We'll save it and we can all go to a gay bar together. Perfect. It sounds great. Well, on that note, this has been truly an incredible conversation, and I appreciate all of you coming to the table and being open, sharing your experiences, your insights, and your suggested action steps for anyone listening. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This has been a special edition of Hidden Layers, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.